I want to, uh, we're, we're launching a new sermon series today, and uh, it's called The Real, will, will the Real Jesus Please Stand Up? Now, I'm not going to ask anybody to raise your hand if you remember a television program where they would say something like that, because if my research is correct, it started, you know, roughly around the time I was born. And ended before many of you are, were born. So check out the reruns if you can. Uh, will the real Jesus stand up? You see, I, I want to connect with the real Jesus. Uh, I don't want to settle for someone else's idea of who Jesus is. Uh, I don't want to settle for my ideas. Although I tend to think my ideas are usually pretty good. I... So do you, I mean, for your ideas, not necessarily for mine. Everybody thinks their own ideas are good. Uh, I believe, though, every human being wants to connect with Jesus in a relationship that can shape their lives for the better. Now, we might call it something different. We might use different terms to describe this inner drive, but God wired us and created us to live in a relationship with him. Uh, and so we're going to be studying for the next few weeks, we're going to be studying uh, Jesus' statements about himself. In, in the Gospel of John, uh, Paul's record, or John's record of Jesus' life, he reports several times when Jesus made statements about himself where he was very emphatic about his identity. I, in if literal translation, it's very kind of clumsy for us in English, but he said, I myself am, and then he described himself in some way. Um, if we're going to understand a person, if we really want to know somebody, we need to know what they say about themselves. We need to hear what they say about themselves. And that's why we want to listen to these things, these statements about Jesus. I mean, these, these are only some of the statements that Jesus makes about himself but, that are recorded, but we're going to focus on these emphatic, I, myself, am kinds of statements. But before we can really understand the statements Jesus was making, we need to make a, a travel uh, way before him. Travel to the desert outside ancient Egypt so we can grasp the impact of Jesus' statements. I want to ask you and invite you to join me in observing a conversation uh, between two persons by a burning bush. It's recorded in Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 16. Now, Moses... Introduction of the first, well, the first introduction. We're starting in Exodus chapter 3, so let me do a quick backstory. We broke this world. That's, it, that's, that's the beginning. God created a beautiful, perfect world where we can live in relationship with Him and with each other, and everything worked for our benefit and asked us to keep it going that way. And we broke it. 
because he said, hey, this is the way it ought to go. This is how you ought to keep things running. And we said, well, I don't see any reason why I need to change the oil every 3,000 miles. I think every 100,000 miles will work just fine. Nope. Tried it a couple times. Well, no, I tried it once with one vehicle. And I really didn't do it on purpose, but we think money was tight. Uh, so, but it, we didn't go for 100,000 miles because the car didn't make it that long. <laughs> I do remember the blue smoke coming out of the back when it died. It was sad. What are we talking about? We broke this world. We, we still do. Even in our best intentions and our best attempts to fix things, we keep breaking we break each other. We are broken. This world is broken. And from the very moment we started breaking things, God started trying to fix the world he made for us and to help us, to restore us, and to make us what we ought to be. That's Genesis. I just finished off the entire book of Genesis because in that place he fixed it. He met a guy named Abraham, whose son was Isaac, whose son was Jacob. And they were ancestors to Moses. All of their descendants, all of Moses' extended family, his entire ethnic group lived in Egypt at this point as slaves. Now Moses had had a special beginning, and then he turned himself into a murderer and had to run. He was a fugitive, hiding in the desert. And it tells us here, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, or Sinai, the mountain of the God. So there we have, that's the first character in this conversation, Moses. Murderer on the run, hiding in the desert. There, on the backside of the wilderness, there, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. It was, it, it just, it stayed there, burning. Well, this is the second to none introduction. I wanted to say this was the introduction of the second character, but the character is second to none. This is God. God shows up to Moses in a bush. In the rest of this conversation, I want you to notice how the, the pronouns, particularly the I statements, uh, reveal there's, there's a, a little, <coughs> little issue about who's in charge. There are issues about power and control occupying Moses's imagination uh, which is interesting he's talking to God and he's still trying to figure out which one of us is in charge by the way that's how we broke everything by assuming we were in charge so don't be too hard on Moses This dialogue continues, and it revolves around that usage of that, that pronoun I. And it seems like the writer, who, interestingly enough, we believe was Moses later. Moses recording this event later, 
frames the story of God's people, the future of God's people, their freedom from slavery, around a question of who's in control. In other words, who's managing the outcomes and the directions of what's going to happen in this world to help God's people. Moses starts out and sees himself as the prime actor who's cho who chooses to make things happen. <clears throat> Moses is about discover, to discover it's not about what he can do. It, it's not about him at all. Now, I'm going to try to portray this conversation for you. I tried to figure out multiple ways of doing this, and so this is all I could come up with. So good luck. I mean, God bless you as you try to follow me. That's what I meant. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight to decide or to find out why this bush doesn't burn up. When the Lord saw that Moses had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. The God said, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. So the first part of Moses' lesson, discovering that it's not about what he can do, and it's really not about him at all, it's all about God, has started. God has shown up to him in a burning bush, introduced himself, and Moses has suddenly hit the dirt, covered his face, and gone, I do not want to die. The Lord keeps talking to him. The Lord says to him, I have heard indeed, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard their crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land to a good and spacious land flowing with milk and honey. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now you go. I will be with you. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. This isn't just a simple announcement from God uh, about his decision to act. It is the question, answers the question, who's in charge here and who is the first one to initiate the action? Who's the one with the plan? Thank you. Yes, God's the, God's the one with the plan. I've heard it, I've seen it, I'm, I'm concerned, I remembered, 
I've come down. You go. This is, the, the, this is the next part of the lesson for Moses to discover that it's not about what he can do and it's not about him at all. It's about working with God to help hurting people. So, here's the sermon in the sentence for today. Sense people must be surrendered people. See, it is not about what we can do. It's not about us at all. So Moses hears this. And God said, I've seen, I've heard, I've come in, I've come down and in, so you go. And Moses says, well, who am I? Who am I to go talk to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God says to him, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. I'm sure Moses, was, if he was anything like us, and even since he's human and broken just like us, I'm pretty sure it was his first thought was, oh, sure. But what's going to happen between now and then? You said, I'm going to go with you, and here's how you're going to know that I went with you. You're going to come back here. You're going to be successful in doing what I said. But what if I'm really uncomfortable with what's going to happen between here and there? Now and then. In fact, I... Moses says to God, well, suppose I do go. Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? I realized something about this question recently. It's isn't as simple as it might sound. It's not like he's just going, so, so what's your name? Because God's already told him who he is. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm the God of your father. If your people ask who, it, who I am, you're going to tell them. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers and mothers. That's who he is. Moses is looking for something more. He's asking for the power of God's name so that he can direct that power when he goes to Egypt. He wants to be the one to unleash God's stuff. He wants to be the one to make God's plan come true. He's the one who's there. He wants to be the prime mover, the one in charge. You know, pause for a moment and just tell you some ways because you know, I, I, I wasn't born in church, but I grew up in church. Some ways I have seen that we do the same thing. We don't realize it. We make plans for some event, and then we ask God to bless it. Now, some of you are going, well, what, what's wrong with that? Well, 
why don't we ask God what he wants to bless and then plan on joining him? Instead of putting our plans on the table and going, hey, make it happen. Oh. Another way we do it. God reveals he wants us to do something, try something new, go a different direction. And we want to know exactly how each little step's going to work and whether or not we're going to like it. <clears throat> Moses had decided that he wasn't going to leave that desert unless he was in control of God. Folks, it is not about what we can do. It's not about us at all. It's all about who sends us and goes with us. Moses says, who am I? And God says, doesn't matter who you are, I'm going with you. Well, what's your name? Oh, here comes the answer. Moses said, God said to Moses, I am who I am. Now, we, most, many of us have heard this story several times in the year. You're going, well, yeah, I think he's going to say that. But I think we missed what he was saying. He's essentially saying to Moses, well, it's really none of your business. I am who I am. Period. You can't have a name to control me. He says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me. The meaning to Moses is abundantly clear. It might not have been clear to us, but it was to him. I hope, I think it was, since he's recording this. Moses, you cannot have control of my name. You will not go on this journey as one who can manage and control the outcomes or who I am or what I'll do when I'll do it. You're not in charge, Moses. It's not about you. It's not about what we can do. It's not about us at all. It's all about who sends us and who goes with us because sent people just ask Moses, sent people have to be surrendered people. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. And his name forever. This is his, my name forever. God says, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. The great I am. That's my name. He is. What is he? He is what he is. I want you to, I'm just going to encourage, this is homework. I don't do this often. I want to give you some homework. I want to encourage you to take like five, ten, Maybe 15 minutes when instead of goofing off, watching TV or whatever, 
and just sit down with this name, put a piece of that name at the top of a piece of paper and try to list all the things that a person would have to be, what a being would have to be to be able to literally say, I am who I am. Just to give you an indication. Physically, I am not who I am. Because if I could decide who I am, I would be six foot five or six foot six. I'd probably also be about 80 pounds lighter. Unless, of course, it was all beef. <laughs> I was given the choice. I, 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 I kind of look like Shaquille O'Neal. Maybe not quite that tall. Right? If, that, if, that's, if I had a choice, but guess what? I don't have a choice. I am what my genes say I'm going to be. I grew up hoping to be six foot five. My father was three inches taller than his father, and my grandfather was three inches taller than his father, and I thought, this is a great trend. Then, like every other guy born in my generation, I discovered that the reason our parents were all taller than their parents and their parents is because they got to eat better because they lived in this great country that we live in. And, well, the genes stopped at six foot two. Didn't matter how much you fed me, I was only be six foot two. Back to where you fed me, the, you know, the wider I would get, but not the taller I would get. I am not what I, I am not, I am what my genes say I am. I am what my age says I am. Sometimes that's older than I want to admit. Uh, think about it. I want you to think about that sometime this afternoon or this evening or sometime this week. What kind of being can actually say, I am who I am? If you have, it's not human. <coughs> He's not human. Oh, and I want to give you the last. I'm not going to get, read the whole verse of 16. I'm just going to give you the first word because, well, I say it to us often. God says to Moses, go. Here we are. Who's in control here? Who's in control of your life? Losing control of the outcomes. God declares to Moses that his name is I am who I am because he will not be controlled. He cannot be controlled. He is second to none. He has no rivals. He has no competition. He is... God. It's not about what we can do when He sends us. It's not about us at all. It's all about Him. He's the one who sends us, and He not only sends us, He goes with us. Sent people must be surrendered people. So just a teaser for the next few sermons and the next few studies, the next few weeks as we look at the I am statements, those 
I myself am statements of Jesus. He is declaring the same thing he declared to Moses at that burning bush. I am who I am. And the people who were listening to him knew exactly what he was saying. Because at least on one occasion they wanted to kill him for it. Well, that's cool, Pastor. But do you have anything for us today? Or do we have to come back next week? Well, it would be nice for you to come back next week, one way or another, right? Uh, but yes, I do have something for you today. That line, the bush was on fire, but it did not burn up. It stands out to me. What if that is, is a call for every single one of us to be on fire with the love of Jesus, but not consumed? In this burning bush, there's kind of the mystery of what God wants from us and what he desires for us and what he created us to be. We, the theological term is holiness. Ordinary human beings filled with the supernatural, fiery love of the Holy Spirit. That burning bush reality of you or me or us being on fire like that runs only as deep as we desire it. It's only as big and as plain as what we desire. Whenever that happens, whenever there's a person who's on fire with the love of Jesus, they're not consumed. Same thing happened as what happened at that bush. People are attracted to it. But they're not attracted to that person. They're attracted to the flame. They're attracted to the Holy Spirit in that person. Imagine a whole community filled with people who are on fire with the love of Jesus, but not consumed. Whose lives are such examples of what he's, his love for people are, that folks are attracted to him because of them. What if we've been asking all the wrong questions? What, what, what if asking, how can I get God to bless my plans? Or, or how can I... What are the right things to say in order to get God to do what I want Him to do? What, what if that's off target? At least off target. What if the correct question is, how can, how can I burn with Jesus' love? Again, it's not about what we can do. It's not about us at all. It's all about Jesus, the one who sends us and the one who goes with us. And it's all about the people he sends us to. Sent people must be surrendered people. I want us to be so connected to the real Jesus 
that his transforming love's touch love touches people through us. Imagine even a small congregation filled with people on fire with Jesus' love and what he could do. Let's pray. Jesus, we no longer seek to control or determine how everything will work out. We certainly like to know ahead of time. Don't you know that? But we're not going to try to, to make it happen. We will simply go where you send us, and we will love the people you send us to. How much of your love can you pass through us? We surrender to you. We ask you to remove every obstacle, every hindrance to your love, to set us on fire with your love until it motivates and shapes everything we do. I want to invite you folks to make the rest of this prayer kind of your own. We repeat it. Uh, reword it however you want to do this, but let's ask Jesus to show us someone that he wants to love through us. Jesus, bring somebody into my life. Or make me aware of somebody I already know. Either way, make me aware of someone you are waiting to awaken to trust in you. Jesus, please use me to plant your love in their life. Holy Spirit, open my ears to hear and my eyes to see who you want me to notice in this coming week. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, you are sent. Go with the Holy Spirit.